Please do not throw hands at me. Welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm Jerry. I am Colin. Beep, bop, boop. Tonight, we are going to jump right into the robots of death. Which is an extremely progressive story that is like decades ahead of, it, ahead of its time because it centers on a human who identifies as a robot. And a robot that is trying to be human. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, uh, I think it's like an interesting concept because really that does make sense if there was going to be a robot revolution it would be headed by you know someone who is not a robot most likely Mm -hmm. and you can see a lot of like the cultural overlays like everyone's makeup in this was you know it it was very clear like the characters put on makeup in the morning Mm -hmm. type thing and then like the sort of exaggerated eyes were reflected in the robots Mm -hmm. and like how they were built and then when Drax, Drax, Drask, Drask, um, Dask. Dask, Dask decided to like dress like a robot. He, you know, just furthered that same exaggeration that started as a human cultural thing and then became a robot thing, and then he exaggerated it further as his own thing. And it just kind of it, it was like a really great attention to detail mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that you brought it to how it's relevant today, and it, I, I thought it was funny because I. What I have noticed, you know, I, I have seen some recent makeup trends where people put those, you know, just kind of like lines over your eyes in addition to other things, too. And it, like, almost didn't seem, you know, that, you know, outlandish mm-hmm. or outdated or, like, it would be alien or of another culture. Well, if you, um, but if you think about it, it's, it's basically a more androgynous society where, I mean, far future, we probably, Men everybody, yeah, anybody can yeah, wear makeup. can wear, Car- can be named Carol, and it's not weird at all. Well, also, the other part of it is you've got all these fancy headdresses and all these very shiny clothes. None of the clothes were really uh, gender-based. Um, they were very gender-fluid. So you right. could just really, I could see this being very... Futuristic and very way ahead of its time because obviously now granted during the seventies you had a lot of this kind of pizzazz and 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 men being more flared up and and made wild up. colors and expression exactly sure. but it still I think is a reflection uh, whoever was the costume designer and the makeup artists and all those and, and the designers of this particular episode or story rather um, really kind of hit home with this is probably where we're heading. And it just will be a matter of time before we get there. And we're slowly getting there. 
Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, this kind of scary thing um, is, you know, the doctor goes, oh, yes, the first it doesn't matter if it's, you know, a little, you know, do one function robot or a whole android. They're all programmed with the do not kill. That is not true. That is not true. <laughs> it just isn't. Well, clearly you, it know, you know, that, that's based off of I'm pretty sure this is still based on, by that point, Asimov's three principles, but I'm just saying, yeah, this like... Whole, this whole episode was, like, a, a throw to Asimov. Well, sure. every... I mean, since Asimov's laws came into being, it's basically been the accepted canon of robot society. I know, but th- what right. I'm saying is that we're a society that has robots in it, and we do not follow these rules that we've been talking about for decades. <laughs> oh, we're aware. I mean, yeah, Plus, we're, we're also press with a lot more like AI and large language models that can more mimic like what these robots are, are saying and how they're interacting. And we don't really have any good rules or regulations. We or actually don't even. We don't even figure it always, out. Yeah, we don't even know how AI actually always works all the time. We just kind of yeah. Well, we see like no, it does work. These things. I think when you get that that far in statistics, it's just like with AI and with quantum mechanics, it just kind of is like, hmm, well, that works. We don't know why, but... (laughs) It's all all generative learning from the robot. So at your point, like, all you... If you look at that code, it's gobbledygook, but it works. (laughs) Um, I thought I I really loved... I know we talk about the humans... And the robots were technically humans underneath, but I don't care about that. But they were also well designed. Like I don't, I I don't know what it was, but the masks that they made the robots' faces, the cast just looked really good. Like I think it's because their eyes were also, you know, like part of the costume. It wasn't like humanized peering out. I think that made a big difference. That didn't. Yeah, unless they were glowing red, you know, it's just kind of like sunken in. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of uh, well, well, even the, the, the sparkly red eyes, they, they just had something to them, which, yes, you look at it now, you're like, you, you, we could do better. But at the same point, could you? I mean, I mean yeah, we have that, like, basically static. the same thing with red, red-eyed red ooh. Right. Yeah, I mean, no matter the color, you know, they were lifeless there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, you also really, had that. nothing behind the lack of eyes. The same effect was utilized for the, uh, the basically that plunger-like thing that they went into yeah. their head. Mm-hmm. So, and and there you could see all that red stuff through some of the t- tubing that was on in that control or in the, the laboratory, basically the lasers. And yes, and um, so I think and the visuals, like for instance, when the doctor and Leela first get there and they they're looking out on the desert um, landscape. That sequence was really well conceived for its time and for for it feeling like you're really kind of there. It, I mean, it didn't feel that that contrived. I love that scene because it also let us know how alien Leela was compared to everyone else we've seen the Doctor with. She saw a complete barren desert and was like, this is beautiful. And like for everyone else sitting there watching, like, that is not beautiful. I mean... It's a nice shot, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but if if that's the first time seeing any kind of desert, yeah. yeah. Well, she also comes from a planet where it was very sandy and and the trees were very kind of barren to begin with. Yeah, but there so. were trees everywhere. Yeah, there are trees everywhere. True. I mean, she'd only really seen that landscape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of matches her whole leotard thing, so I guess maybe that's why. 
<laughs> I, I thought Lila was, was so great in this one. That guy comes up and is like, can you give me any reason why I shouldn't just execute you immediately? And she's like, no, but you can because you haven't. And slap <laughs> me again and I'll cripple you. Get like, she right. was just, oh, she was just on fire oh, and being awesome. Oh, yeah. I, uh, one thing I did really appreciate with this story even more than Chris Boucher's first story, and of course Chris Boucher was again the writer for this story, twice, two in a row, was his characterization. These characters are long-lasting. Not only did he create a book called Corpse Marker that came out afterwards that had Uvanov, Tus, and Poole all in it, but all three of them went on to the audios, had their own audio series through Big Finish. Mm-hmm. They were intriguing characters that had a lot of fans. I mean, a lot of fans loved those those characters. Wait, which I, one was the the captain of the ship? Uh, it was uh, Commander Ivanov. Ivanov, I loved him. He had the best beard too. Oh, he, he was so holy. great. He was just like, you guys, I we're here to make money. Let's just make money. Let's just do that. And but then like when it came down to it, and it was like a life or death or money type of situation, he did what, like, a normal person would do, which yep. is be like, okay, well, screw that. Let's live. I'm on your side. You're fixing things. Like, it just, he seemed very realistic. So, and also, like a good captain, or anyone who's a commander, he's like, I know the ship. We're making bombs today, people. We're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> blow the, blow these, these guys up. And well, it's like, not everyone on that ship would have the know-how to be like, okay, we gotta do this. But he's like, this is what we're gonna do. Slap him on and let's just... Not only all that, he has this great backstory with Zilda and her brother, where a lot of the blame is automatically put on Ivanov to kind of throw him as the red herring. He's the one that's suspicious and look and seems suspicious, but all along he actually was the one that wanted to save her brother. And Zilda did whatever she found obviously seemed to incriminate him, but it really didn't because he he knew that he had to cover up what was wrong with her family. And I bet that's one of the reasons he had so much animosity towards her was that it was her family that almost cost him his own job. Mm -hmm. And all this backstory that really kind of comes out through just kind of the generalized acting that that the actor who did, Russell Hunter, was really good in this role. And and that was, I think, what was compelling about him. Um, Poole, of course, being the investigator, trying to figure out what was going on in all this, and was kind of in cahoots with D84, which is, of course, everyone's favorite robot. Um, pre K9. Pre K9. Well, see, here's the thing is that if D84 actually went on to live, I think he would have been a great companion on board the TARDIS. He sure would have been better than Chameleon. <laughs> if if nuts were candy and, and um, butts, we'd all have a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if D84 had gotten on to the TARDIS, then we probably wouldn't have gotten K9. Another cool thing about D84, though, is that they intentionally made him black, and he ended up being the the good robot. I thought it was just so we could identify him. <laughs> well, no, I think, well, well, you could do that with uh, VS7, because 7 was oh, silver true. as opposed D88, to green. which was just like, I think, one stand-in there was also black, and I was trying yeah. to, like, figure out why do we... 
I think it's the D class one. Yeah, the D class ones. But it was cool because it was kind of the reverse. We automatically kind of associate black as a darker color, so it must be evil. Well, in this case, it was actually the good. Says the man who's wearing all black. <laughs> I have to. It's my job. Okay. Sorry. But at any rate, I mean, just it, that was just kind of cool that how they kind of throw suspicion again on in the wrong direction, and and you're not quite certain, but well, and they they do that a lot in this, and very well because you know also with pool you see and like Leela recognizes it immediately, and like there's tons of evidence that he's not saying the whole truth that he's up to something. He and is a hunter. He's, he's got, got a hunter way about yeah. him, yeah. And but you know it's not him. Mm-hmm. It's the guy who frankly consistently acts the most like a robot throughout. <laughs> there, there was something also, going back to pool, like, we also have to talk to the fact that, I mean, it's not something that's always shown, in, even in modern day. Well, modern day has become more common, but if we want to talk about something that's relevant, dealing with trauma. Oh, yeah. Because pool had trauma. Yeah, and, and it being like a psychological disorder and everyone being that like this, respected. you know. That was respected. That was respected, yeah. And, you know, Even and that Ivanov was, was respecting it. Well, in fact, he respected it more than it seemed like the rest of society did because everyone was like, oh, we don't want him to seem like a coward, so let's cover this up. And he was like, I feel kind of bad. I feel like we should, should just be honest. Well, but that's where Ivanov's character came out about uh, Zilda's brother. Which yeah. He had seen it before. He understood it. Well, that's it. what I meant, like, like with the yeah. brother. Um, another interesting character was Borg, who, of course, uh, was basically dead set on the doctor being the murderer, or not, no, no. He was not dead set on the doctor being the murderer at first, um, but he certainly <laughs> gave the doctor a hard time, <laughs> especially with the Jelly Babies. Oh, yeah. Shut up! <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a travesty, honestly. That, that really spoiled me on his character. <laughs> I liked the doctor's reaction. He just seemed as disheartened as, like, I think we all felt watching that happen. Just, just, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like... Uh, no, thank you, it sufficed. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of great lines in this story. Again, there great were, characters, great lines. What a I great writer. Was, I think there was good, like, really good acting. There was a really good plot line. Um, I think there was really good um, character costume design. Mm-hmm. I would have and, to... And pretty good set design. Yeah. Totally. Oops, sorry. I would think that um, also, even though it kind of becomes a little bit more clear that Dask is obviously the one once they show kind of his face on the screen, because obviously he doesn't have a beard... And if you can read faces like I can, you can tell that that's pretty much his face on the computer screen that's taking over SV7. I'm terrible with faces, and I could not tell. <laughs> that's fine. But, I mean, it, it was kind of pointing in his direction al- towards the end of Episode 3 anyway. So I, I do say, though, there was this classic whodunit mystery that kind of evolved throughout the first three episodes... And that was kind of, that's what made this very interesting. I mean, Agatha Christie could, would have been proud of this kind of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting all these characters together, having them all fighting and blaming each other for what's You're going right. on. You're right. This is a very Agatha Christie story. Yeah. Everyone get in the same room and start accusing each other and bring up some really good points and solid evidence. And people, and people just wander away for a little while just to go missing. And they all have something to hide, which is another thing that was kind of a theme. It's, it's, I mean, Chris Boucher really honed in on Agatha Christie on this one. I would say that, all right, 
One of the very few drawbacks I could pull out of this episode was that that was way too long of a scene with the doctor getting buried and that stuff. And then like they replayed the entire thing on the repeat. I didn't find that to be too long. I thought it was reasonably well handled because it, I mean, it went from his knees to almost completely covering him pretty quickly. So, I mean, if we sat there for him to actually go through the whole length process, yeah, that would take forever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't really have an issue. And granted, again, this is a serial, so they had to repeat. the. You had a whole week before you had to watch that episode again. I didn't mind that so much, keeping that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and fl- plus, we have the ability to fast forward through it anyway. Thank goodness. Thank goodness is my age. I mean, this is the, the grand future that the past couldn't have anticipated. <laughs> Not to mention that PBS over here in the States and some other entities have actually shown this in movie format quite often. So you get more of a... You lop off all the extra theme songs and all the extra scenes that are duplicated and you just kind of compact it into one. If you do that for this story, it's like a full movie and it moves fast and it moves really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like a seamless plot too. It's just like everything kind of tied up and connected. There was no one you're sitting there at the end going, why was that person doing that thing? Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Although I did have the question and, you know, it was really Shelby's question. How strong was that crane just pry a TARDIS, you know, straight from the ground so easily? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, just as like it was picking up any other rock that might just be on the so, surface. So of this, this is one of those things. I was thinking about that very thing, too. Like, okay, we all were on this. I was thinking, how heavy is the TARDIS? Like, can't you take an sh- uh, entire, like, supernova right to the face and not, not, not be affected? So the 11th Doctor actually, well, he doesn't say how heavy it is, I don't think, but he does explain that if the TARDIS was its actual weight, it would crush any planet it lands on. It has, you know... Right. It does it, like, you know, with well, its well, what science I, what, Actually, I was going to take the, this thing. Put it this way. You, the whole dimension thing, right, where he said, like, it's like, basically two dimensions wrapped into each other... Well, the weight's on the other dimension. Yeah. The box itself is is the weight of a, a police box. And also in the classic series, it's actually stated that the outside of the of the TARDIS weighs the same as a London police box. Really? Oh, okay. So it really isn't that heavy for a crane to pick up and move. Oh. And matter of fact, that crane would have been made out of that iron alloy that the whole ship's made out of. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it was the one time where they had to use... Um, a like miniature for it obviously but I didn't have a I mean that was so small compared I, to the I, rest I, of it we're just more joking about the idea of the physics that we would because we don't right. know how huge the actual heart is yeah, but let's talk about the physics for a second, because here we actually have the doctor provide some semblance of an explanation. He says it. it's in another dimension, and, you know, he does an explanation that's like the first half of part one of how this works, yeah. and then just kind of stops, as the doctor does. <laughs> well, on top of that, I mean, that, Leela, again, is new to a lot of the science and everything. So, actually, that was a very good explain-it-like-I'm-five basic uh, definition right then and there. Yeah. Like, so, put a box here, which is bigger. It's kind of similar to what Peter Capaldi did in um, his uh, in Season 10, because mm-hmm. he kind of explains it a very similar way, and that was a nod to this story. Yeah, he kind of just, like, says something that's, like, okay, but it, it doesn't really explain it, you know? No, it it's doesn't. Just, like, 
it's like you're saying something to me like, uh, oh, so what's the answer? Like, oh, well, this is kind of what's happening. Yeah, I but mean... it doesn't really get at the heart of the question, like, how was that actually possible? But well, he does say it's in another dimension, which actually is, you know, a decent amount of explanation from a scientific standpoint that you're now thinking, okay, so the exterior of the TARDIS, what I see here is actually essentially a portal into another dimension. Yeah, it's descriptive of, of how it is and what you have, but I think it's just like... Yeah, oh, yeah. how is... <laughs> just, you know, just Time Lords have trans-dimensional engineering. I mean, like, <laughs> he just mentioned that. I mean, he just claimed it to be so. That's I mean, true. that's the thing that I'm really like, um, please, like, elaborate. Time and relative dimensions in space. That's what a TARDIS is, stands for. Yeah, we can just engineer it. We, we, we do that engineering stuff. It's just like imagine this and this and like they're really just describing what the well, TARDIS is. Well, okay, okay. Well, let's let me give it its best argument. Rather, we than find out in the future that TARDISes are actually grown, so it's fairly likely that the Doctor doesn't know how it works. <laughs> oh, I, I am pretty sure the Doctor lies. He does not know how it works. Now he knows what we would call the grade school. Um, uh, you know, time Analogy. lords. Time lords knowledge of this. He's not a time lord engineer. He's not the one who would actually build these things. Well, again, the doctor. Do, I mean, in his eleventh form, he does start to try and grow. I think it's his eleventh form. He tries to grow a TARDIS. And matter of fact, he does know a little bit about the engineering of TARDISes. Um, it's also alluded to the fact that he actually was a part of the whole beginnings of things. Now, granted, this is kind of into the books, into the novels, into the into the the wilderness years, as they call it. And there was supposed to be the Andrew Cartmel plan during the Seventh Doctor era where the Doctor does state, I'm more than just a Time Lord. And, of course, there's this whole mystery behind whether the Doctor was actually around when Barusa was around and when all the... TARDISes were made and all this other stuff. So I wouldn't say that the Doctor doesn't exactly know anything about TARDISes. I would say that through the years, he's probably kind of nitpicked and, and chosen what he wants to know about them and not re and not really cared about all the rest of the stuff. Because he is a rebel and he's running away and he doesn't really want to mess with his TARDIS because he never really fixes it. Well, he sort of fixes it from time to time. But for the most part, he just kind of goes wandering <laughs> and wandering who wants to go first for ratings I can okay this was fun it had some classic like clueness you know Agatha Christie we talked about that you know who done it I enjoyed that um, I, I, I'm honestly I'm pretty sure this is the first space sci-fi who done it that of this type of caliber, probably recorded history at that point. So I give it for that. A lot of good character development. Again, the guy who I hated the most the first episode in the end is just like the competent captain as a captain would be. And I'm just sitting here at the end like, honestly, in the 70s, I didn't, in early 80s, I didn't expect someone to be that good of a character. Um, and you know, just overall a nice story it wasn't like the doctors back then the doctors uprising we are now can take over everything no it was just a human with a 
a robot fixation. <laughs> so all that, it was a good. I mean, could I say there was room for improvement? There's always room for improvement. This is why I never give anything a 10, generally, unless my favorite car is in it, maybe. But that's, that's never mind. Not going to get distracted by anything. Too late. <laughs> I would give this a... Clara wasn't listening. 9.5. I liked it a lot. Apparently. I'd like to go oh. next. Okay. Right. Um... I think, yeah, I think this was a great episode or story. I think uh, the characters were fantastic. I think the writing was fantastic. I really liked the makeup and costumes. I even thought the set design was pretty good. I mean, that was that was a cool kind of ship. I mean, and, and doing it and having, you know, watching it go and, you know, it was the 70s. It looks like a model. But then when they zoomed in and you see the whole deck, I mean, that was kind of bringing some cool scale to the whole thing. Um, I thought it was all very well done. Uh, it wasn't, you know, my favorite story of all time. The whodunits are very fun, but they don't, you know, rank quite that highly. So I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I have to say? What do I have to think about this episode? You don't have to think anything, baby. <laughs> I appreciate that deer, honey bear. Would you, would you like a gummy bear? I love one. Oh, by the way, the jelly beans. Jelly, jelly babies. babies. Jelly babies, they didn't deserve that. Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah but uh, I, it was out. such a travesty, it's worth bringing up again. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but anyway, anyhow. Um, any when? Any why, just why. <laughs> I had to. All right, but let's uh, let's search forward here, try and get things together, get things on track. Um, I think in a lot of ways, this episode is getting Doctor Who on track in a good way. We have a fantastic murder mystery. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's going to be um, robot with robot force in one of the robotic rooms that is going to be killing people, you know, throughout this story. Um, but it was, uh, I think that there were tremendous one-liners, there was humor here, it was well-developed, um, really good uh, throwback to um, Isomoff questions and, and rules. Uh, there was a lot to love about this episode. It had uh, a good plot that was strung together well, made good sense, fantastic pacing, um, good characters, as well as uh, character costumes in the mix as well. Um, even for its age, you know, really strong effects, um, good backgrounds. There's really not a lot to say um, about this episode that, that is bad. I think it's objectively um, a great episode, and I think it also has um, some good, likely replay ability. Even just seeing it once, I, I can see, you know, why it would um, be worth another watch or two. Um, so just for that alone and maybe in a little bit of the philosophy that Jeremy laid out as well um, I, I do think that there is always opportunities for improvement um, I, I may be stingy with my tens but um, there was a little bit of this episode that I just wish captivated me a little bit more at the end of the day um, it's going to get a 9 out of 10 it certainly deserved it I think other scores even higher are, are justifiable but no scores lower <laughs> 
No. There's, there's a wide variety of opinion. I, I do believe that meaning in art is really of the beholder, so... Absolutely. I think that what makes a great episode is, can I watch this episode again? And again. And again. And again. This is one of those stories I've probably seen at least 13 or 14 times. Not just because I want to see it, because I want to share it. This is one of the stories that most Doctor Who fans are very proud to show off as one of the very first stories that anybody could see. Um, It's a great jumping on point because it is kind of Leela's first uh, TARDIS ride and you get that great explanation at the beginning. Um, You have an excellent cast. Um, There is a... I mean, there's obviously a few sequences that could have been done better, but it's... There's a lot of water under the bridge when you go and nitpick something to death. This is one of those stories, though, that I love. It is definitely in my top three Tom Bakers, uh, right along with Deadly Assassin, which we just recently um, rated. This story, for me, deserves a 10 out of 10. There is Ooh. nothing that I would... I, I can't put it any lower than Mercy. that. And that's compared to a lot of other Doctor Who stories. So, and here you go. That's the end of for me. Hey, maybe I'll be there in my 13th or 14th watch, but... <laughs> for now, it is what it is. Tell us what you think, folks. And, you know, if you're in the greater DMV area, um, we will be at DC's Comic-Con, Awesome Con, come June 17th. Just hope to see you there. Yep. Hmm? Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>